Well, welcome to Chapel Hill. My name is Peter Herzog. I'm one of the worship leaders here. I'm not the regular speaker. So do come back next Sunday if you don't like this at all, because this is normally how it goes. Sorry, what? Change the picture. Change the picture. Okay. All right. So we're, we're, <laughs> we're in a series on freedom, and today we're talking about freedom from pride. And last week, if you were here, I just want to do a little recap. We talked about how pride diminishes you. And it diminishes your capacity to admit, your, your capacity to admit your, admit your mistakes, capacity to apologize, your capacity to acknowledge perhaps that you love someone or you're proud of someone. It diminishes your capacity to say what needs to be said, to hear what you need to hear, to give what needs to be given. We talked about how pride crowds people out because when you're full of you, there's no room for anyone else in the room. People walk on eggshells around you. Uh, pride also crowds God out. We talked about how in some cases, it's your pride, not necessarily, not necessarily your intellect, that can crowd God out of your life. And one way you can test that is to look and see how pride is impacting other relationships, because perhaps that same pride is also impacting your relationship with God. And we also talked about how pride is a prison, how pride shuts us in, and it shuts others and God out. And so I <clears throat> had a lot of great conversations after uh, this, this service and, the, and this week and, and got some texts. And you guys, it's like you're doing some self-reflection, which is great. I encourage you to do that. Um, pride is insidious. Pride is the source of all sorts of vices. So it's good for us to take a look. And remember last week we talked about how an invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to unfollow pride. And we looked very closely at how Jesus taught and modeled a very radical, a radically liberating version of humility. And so I think last week was a good start and it was a good, um, a good, uh, a good opener to our eyes of what pride does in our life. But I think it was incomplete because if you go back and listen to, to what was said, it was very much focused upon behavior. We talked about a lot about what we do and don't do with pride. And we talked a lot about, with Jesus' version of humility, what he did, serving, washing people's feet, those sort of things. We talked about behavior. But the one thing we didn't talk about that I want to talk about today is the internal reality. What is it that, draw, that, that, that brings that behavior to life? What does humility look like on the inside? So I want to go a bit deeper here and look, on, look at the internal life how humility looks, and perhaps there we can find freedom from it. So before we begin, let's have a word of prayer and ask God to bless this time and open our hearts and speak to us. Father in heaven, we acknowledge your presence in this place today. And uh, as we've already seen, pride can be very damaging to ourselves. It can crowd people out of our lives, it can crowd you out of our lives, and it can shut us in and insulate us from others. Lord, we pray that you would uh, bring to light what needs to be brought to light today, that you would uh, help us to find freedom from pride so that we can live this abundant life that you call us to. So God, do that work, we ask, that your Holy Spirit would come and illuminate this word, illuminate this message, that you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, I want to go deep into what does the interior life look like when it comes to pride and humility. And to do that, my method today is going to talk about this question. How did the Apostle Paul 
deal with pride. And if you look in his writings, there are several places where Paul does address pride. And I want to look at one specific spot and one specific point that Paul makes today. Um, there's lots of places you could go here with Paul. We're going to focus on one today. And in, throughout his, his writings, especially in 1 Corinthians and Colossians, he uses this word. Uh, I'm going to try to say it. Fuseo. I think it's how it's pronounced. It's fuse, fuseao. I, I like the last part because, uh-oh, like pride, uh-oh. And it really, what it means is being puffed up. So I, I, bought a, I brought a balloon here. So this balloon here represents your ego or your fuse, uh-oh. So what Paul has in mind here is a puffed up ego. And he uses this, this term in 1 Corinthians and Colossians. And I think it's an interesting picture. In fact, there's a lot of uh, scholars talk a lot about why he used this word in particular, why he talked about puffed up. And uh, Tim Keller actually goes into depth a bit about what we can glean from his use of this word. So I want to kind of show you what Tim said here. Tim said, number one, uh, fuseao, or your ego, a puffed up ego, can lead to and show you that there's emptiness often found in a puffed up ego. Oftentimes we find that we are building our life and getting life from the things that are not of God. We base our value, we base our joy, we base it on things that are not of God. There's an emptiness inside and we try to fill it with things. The next thing he, that, that Tim Keller points out is that a, a, a puffed up ego is painful. Now, here's the thinking here. You don't notice your elbow until it starts to hurt. You don't notice your toes until there's something wrong with them. They just function. You really don't notice your body until something's wrong with it. You don't notice your ego until it's stretching and there's something painful going on within your ego. There's, it's trying to draw attention to itself, saying, something's wrong, I am hurting, I'm in pain. So a puffed-up ego... He's like a hurting toe or like a hurting elbow. We'll get to that later. Just hold on to that, that thought there. The second thing is, we often say our feelings are hurt. The truth is, you can't really hurt your feelings. You have feelings. You can't hurt them. What you hurt is your ego. And then the feelings come out of that. So, a puffed-up ego is empty, seeking to be fed. A puffed-up ego is also inflated and in pain, kind of like a, a, a swollen stomach. And a puffed-up ego is also busy. A puffed-up ego is constantly trying to fill itself with, by, and usually uses as a strategy, comparison or boasting. It's trying, it, it looks at others around them, tries to see how they are better, how, how the ego, how you are better than other people, how you have more than others, and that's how it's trying to fill itself. And pride, by nature, by of definition, is competitive. Take a look at this uh, quote by C.S. Lewis. I think he gets right to it. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever 
or good-looking, there'd be nothing to be proud about. This pride is competitive. Pride is busy trying to fill this up. Pride wants to be more successful, more intelligent, more good-looking. And the other part about pride is pride is fragile. Pride is fragile because anything, is in, anything inflated is in danger of becoming deflated. And I, um, there's an interview in, in a, a Vogue magazine with, with Madonna who kind of gets right to the heart of this. Check this out. She's, this is Madonna speaking. My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. The ego can easily become deflated. The ego is a black hole. So back to my question. How did the Apostle Paul deal with pride? How did he... Here's the Apostle Paul, who you could argue was one of the most, like, top ten, if not top five, most influential men in the world. I mean, think about how many millions of people right now are listening to a letter from Paul. It's astounding, and they'll do it next week, and they'll do it throughout the week. His writings, what he said, what he wrote, is having its influence profoundly today. It's on your phone. It's on the internet. It's everywhere. It's free. His writings... Amazing. And this man, as we, if you look at his history and you read the book of Acts, he was extremely bold. He was extremely confident. He went on these missionary journeys into really dangerous parts of Rome and preached the gospel right in front of city officials. He would walk right into large groups of people and declare his faith in Christ. This is a very, very competent, confident human being. So you have to imagine that Paul had issues with pride, wouldn't you? It makes sense. So how did he deal with it? Like I said, there's lots of places we can look, but I want to look at 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, which says this. Paul says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. He's talking to the Corinthians. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Notice how he uses the word judged. See, Madonna felt like she was being judged. She didn't want to be mediocre. She doesn't want to be judged as mediocre. She wants to be special. So she wanted to continue to be, when she's judged, the verdict would be that she was approved. And so she had to continue to fight and fight and fight to be special, to be superior, to be exceptional. And Paul says something, speaks right into this and says, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. In fact, I don't even care about what I think about me. How do we get there? How do we get to this place where we don't necessarily care about what other people think or what we think about us? Because I think that's a profound place to be. Oftentimes when we hear uh, this this argument that, um, well, if you feel like you are not meeting people's standards, if you're not... If you're not, uh, uh, um, if 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 you're constantly feel like you're you're battling against maybe your parents' standards, 
or your friend's standards or society's standards and you feel terrible about it, well then, common knowledge today is what you do is you just forget about their standards. So how is that different from what Paul's saying? Didn't Paul just say, I don't care what you think, and that's, that's kind of the prevailing culture perspective? Just, tell, just, just don't care about what people think. Instead, instead, set your own standards. Set your own standards. Decide who you want to be and be that person. Set your own standards. But, but this is a trap. And I think if Paul would see this today, he would say, this is a trap. And that's why he said that statement, I don't care what I think about myself. Because here's the trap. If you set your own standards, you say, okay, I'm just going to be whoever I'm going to be. I'm just, all I'm going to care about is my own standards. The problem is, you'll never meet those standards. You will constantly fall short of those standards. And so what do you do? Well, you lower your standards. But there's a trap there too. Because you're not an idiot. You just saw you lowered your standards. Now you feel terrible because you're a person with low standards. It's a trap. So not caring about what other people think about you gets you only so far. Setting your own standards doesn't get you all the way. So Paul's approach is very different. He says, I don't care what the world thinks, and I don't care what I think about myself. I don't hold my own opinion of myself in high, in high view. And he goes farther. He says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean I'm innocent. And as we know, Paul was extremely influential and he's someone that like, had, had this, this ability to, to walk into a room and set people straight. But then we also notice he says something very, very profound. Something a little bit that we wouldn't expect from someone so confident. He says this, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now this, this breaks our mold. We're starting to get a, a picture into Paul's thinking here a little bit about how he views himself. And here's this very confident man, doesn't care about what other people think, doesn't care even about what he thinks about himself, and quickly says, I'm the worst person in the world. Yet, he was so influential, so confident. How do we, that, that's, that's what's been driving me into this sermon, and, this is, and I'm hoping I'm driving you into it too, this question of how can we have the confidence of Paul, the boldness of Paul, yet this humility of Paul as well? Oftentimes humility can feel really weak or, or small, but Paul was not that way at all. He was bold, he was confident, yet he was humble, yet God used him. God, it says in the, in the Bible that God opposes the proud. God did not oppose Paul. He used him mightily. So Paul was totally honest about his flaws, yet with this incredible confidence. How does Paul get there? We're getting a little closer. He doesn't let people judge him. He doesn't judge himself. He doesn't see humility as shame. That's one thing that in the church sometimes there's a, a message of, well, you just need to be shame, like kind of in a shameful state or like a, a, a low posture. That's not how he sees it. 
He doesn't connect his sin with his identity. He has, this, he has an identity of how he sees himself, and he sees his sin, and he admits his sin, but it doesn't seem to get at his identity. He doesn't connect his accomplishments with his identity. He, he has this set identity, this, this confidence, yet his accomplishments don't seem to puff him up. How do we get to where Paul is? We, we struggle to get there because we set our own standards and then we condemn ourselves. We have this set of standards that we need to reach, and if we don't reach them, then we condemn ourselves and we are shameful and we, are, um, we lose confidence and we get depressed and we don't do what's right and perhaps we even get into addictions and all sorts of stuff and, and, and we start... See, looking inward constantly, we're self, self-obsessed, and that's kind of what happens here. If I consistently see myself as a bad person, I'm going to have no confidence. Paul says, I don't care what you think or what I think. His ego is not puffed up. His ego, instead, is filled. His ego is not in pain, It's like his elbow, it's like his toe. It's not hurting, it's not drawing for attention. It's fine. Paul has reached a place where he doesn't think about himself anymore. When he does something wrong or good, he doesn't tie it to his identity. C.S. Lewis says this really great quote in Mere Christianity. He says, if you were to truly meet a humble person, you would never come come away thinking you met a humble person. They would not always be telling you that they were a nobody because the person who, says, who keeps saying they're a nobody is self-obsessed. The thing you'd remember about meeting a truly humble person is how much they seem to be interested in you. The essence of humility is not thinking more of myself or less of myself, but thinking of myself less. Gospel humility is this. This is, this is the term I want to give us. Gospel humility. Not needing to think about myself all the time. Not needing to always get credit. Not feeling sh- constant shame over your sin. Yes, you admit your sin. I'm the chief of sinners. You're honest about that. Gospel humility is humility of thinking of yourself less. And that's what we mean by freedom from me. It's, it's, it's this leaving the self-obsession with yourself. We're not talking about pumping up your self-esteem, which is the common uh, strategy today to people who are feeling down and feeling like they can't get a comp. And we're not, talking about people, we're not talking about low self-esteem where it's shame. We're talking about forgetting yourself when your ego is like your toes, when it's just there, but it doesn't hurt Here's a test. How do you handle criticism? When people are critical of you, when they say something critical of you, how do you handle it? What happens to you when people are critical of you? Do you does it bother you? Does it, does, do the words spin around in your head? Does it cause you to lose sleep? I'm a, I'm a, my, you know, the five love languages. I'm an affirming words guy. Words, words, when I hear them, they, they spin in my head. I think about them. When I hear criticism, I can hold on to one phrase for days, weeks, months, years. I can think back to when someone said this. 
hurts. It's my ego saying, that hurts. I feel deficiency. There's a sense of shame there. There's a sense of sadness there. How do you handle criticism when someone is critical about you? Let's challenge this a little bit. A truly humble person is not devastated by criticism because they see their ego is filled and they see the criticism, rather, as an opportunity to change. Paul says, I don't care about what other people think. I don't even care about what I think. So the question this morning is, do you want to be free from devastation of criticism? Do you want to be free from the need of recognition? Or even more so, do you want to be not afraid of recognition because you know that it might just fuel your pride? Do you want to be the kind of person who doesn't admire themselves in the mirror but also doesn't cringe either? Do you want to be the kind of person who's free from beating yourself up over your past regrets? Do you want to be the kind of person who's able to truly celebrate when other people win or are successful? And don't you want to be the kind of person who's really able to enjoy things that are not about you. This is gospel humility. This is not thinking more of myself or less of myself. This is simply thinking about myself less. So how do we get there? Because I don't think I've answered it. I think I've talked about it in bits and pieces here and there. And maybe some of you are feeling like there's a gap. And we talk, this, your ego's filled. What, Peter? What are you talking about? How, how can you have an identity set, set on what? Well, it's in that secret phrase, the, the secrets right here that Paul says, it's the Lord who judges me. I don't care what you think about me. I don't even care what I think about me. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. The only, opinion, the only opinion that matters is the Lord's opinion. The court is done. The case is closed. The only opinion that matters is the Lord's opinion of me, is what Paul says. That's where his identity is grounded. That's how he can say his ego is filled and not puffed up. The Lord is the one who judges me. And the good news, the gospel of Jesus is that you, here you get this, this is so cool, you get the verdict before your performance. Every other religion, let's start with, well, this isn't a religion, I'd be mad if I said this. If you're, if you're, if you're an atheist, you, your performance comes first and then the verdict if you're a good person. If you're a Buddhist, your performance comes first and then the verdict if you're a valuable person. If you're in Islam, the performance comes first and then the verdict. But in Christianity, the verdict comes first and then the performance. The good news of Jesus is that you get the verdict before your performance. And the verdict is this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The verdict is already set. Paul wrote this. Romans 8, Paul wrote this. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Case closed. Judges ruled. 
I don't listen to what the world says about me. I don't even listen to what I say about me. I listen to the judge. And he says, I'm not condemned. What does that do to your soul and your heart and your mind and your whole way of being and thinking if you allow that in? Because everywhere else in the world, it's all performance and verdict. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. By grace, the verdict is set. I paid the price. I, I was on trial for you. I paid the penalty for you. And the case is closed. The court is adjourned. And the only person whose opinion counts looks at us and says this, you are not condemned. You are my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. So how does Paul deal with pride? Paul, Paul doesn't care about what the world says, the standards it sets. Paul doesn't even care about his own standards. He cares about one standard, one judge, one verdict. And it's already set. And that's how he finds freedom from pride. And that's how he can run with confidence And that's how he can pursue God's mission for him and not be a proud person. That's how he can live out humility in such a way that's dangerous. Have you ever considered humility dangerous? Think about this. The kind of people who don't care about the world standards or even are held back by their own standards and feel this freedom by the creator, they will pursue God with abandon. That's dangerous humility. And that's the prayer. The prayer is not simply that we would just release the shackles of pride, but that we would actually run the race. Like, this is Paul's words again. Run this race without concern, self-obsession, without ego hurting. We would just run this race to please our Father, the one that we know has already said, you're not condemned. You're my beloved son and daughter. I love you the same way that, that I love my son. What if we could be free like this? We can be free like this, starting today, starting right now. So let's continue our service in worship. We're going we're gonna to take an offering, and then we're going to continue to sing. But I would just ask that God would transform your hearts and perhaps draw you closer to that uh, humility that, that Paul describes here. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is an essential message, core message to our faith. Your gospel reaches to the heart of our pride. You look right into our identity, right into who we are, and you say, you are not condemned. You are my beloved son or daughter. God, there are many in here today who, and I'm one of them, that daily battle with the, the, the messages of pride. That that isolate me from the people I love the most, that push them away. And God, I pray that we would, you would help us to, to fight those messages of pride. Perhaps, perhaps 
by remembering Romans 8 every day, Romans 8, 1, that there's no condemnation in Christ. By remembering all the amazing things you said that you that we are that that we are friends, that you are our brother, that that you that you love us as your own son and your own daughter, that we would preach to ourselves the gospel every single day, that we would then find this humility that's so dangerous and compelling and powerful, so we could run this race not for our own glory, but for yours. Gotta pray for uh, for us as we have so many messages coming at us through social media, through just everything we see around the world, through advertising that set all these standards for us, that judge us on a constant basis. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to see the emptiness in each one of those things, the death found in each one of those things, and help us to, to, to no longer listen to them anymore. And God, I pray for, for us who, who struggle with... Uh, um, setting these standards for ourselves that we can continually not meet, that we would, cont- we would stop having a high view of our own opinion of ourselves, but rather have a low view. And in the end, God, that we would look to you and you- see you as our judge and see your verdict. And in the end, that we would think of ourselves less. Help us, God, Reach that level of humility. Show us how to get there. It's one step at a time. God, right now we take this moment to worship you in song, by the giving of our, of our resources. Lord, use these next few moments to do a kingdom work in our hearts. Speak to us, Lord. God, your will be done the rest of this day and into this week. In Jesus' name. Amen.